Hope you had a good week. I am so glad to have you here tonight. We had a delightful time this afternoon. We had, we were sh one shy of 30 this afternoon. One shy. I told them, who was it that wasn't here? And apparently it was you. Yeah, one shy. We could have had 30. <laughs> it was a good time, and I appreciate you being here tonight. We're going to be in Genesis, obviously, chapter 5. I'm going to turn there. And uh, we are discussing, or be discussing tonight, Noah. And of course, you know, once we bring up the topic of Noah, you know where we're heading. And so tonight is uh, a very uh, pivotal time in our study. So I'm going to read for you a verse, and then I will pray, and we'll get into tonight's lesson. We're in chapter 5, Genesis. Let me read for you verse number 32, and then we will pray and begin. Genesis 5, 32. We've been talking previously to this about so-and-so begat so-and-so after living so many years. Here, and Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. When I read this, this time in my study, a lot of questions popped into my mind. And so tonight we're going to just discuss some of those questions, not because I have the answers, but because it was fun to think about. And so let's pray and ask God to meet with us. Thank you, dear Lord, for your love. Thank you for this afternoon's Bible study, and thank you for this evening. Would you meet with us? We are really uh, floundering, Lord, without your presence. So, Holy Spirit of God, would you lead us, lead our thinking tonight, guide us down a path of true understanding in this passage, and uh, Lord, we'll thank you for it and hope you're going to be glorified in it. For we love you in Jesus' name, amen. We've talked previously about several men living hundreds of years, and then it says, and they begat sons and daughters. Now, I proposed to you last week that does not necessarily mean they waited for that number of years to ha start having sons and daughters. It could be that the sons and daughters that were mentioned were the ones important to God. For instance, they may have been the ones in the actual lineage of Christ that, that demanded a, folk, a focus. That is possibility. Now, tonight, we're going to begin with me kind of flipping the, the page and looking at it with the possibility that Noah waited f 500 years before becoming a father. We're going to discuss this. If you're taking notes, There it is. Number nine, Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem, S-H-E-M. Well, letter A, I said Noah was an old first-time father. And uh, 500 years old. And here's why I believe Noah must have had no other children. But before I give you, ah, they're right there in front of you. I don't want to, oh, let me ask you. Without looking, can you think of any reasons why he probably did not have other children before these? Not have been what? Evil? Okay. All right. Any other suppositions? Okay. Just want to get you thinking. Abby? That's a good question. No. Just do we know when he got married? I don't I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe it took him a long time to find somebody willing to marry him. That's possible. <laughs> okay, well let's look at it. Number one, first of all, one of the reasons why Noah must have had no other children is because there are none other mentioned in the Bible. So that's just one. Now I know I kind of took the wind out of that excuse last week. But it's a possibility. Number two, only these three and their wives were saved from the flood, which kind of goes with what you said. Only these three and their wives were saved, which leads us to number three. Had he had other children, what would have happened to them? Yeah. Apparently, since they didn't get on the boat, that means that they would have perished. They would have been evil. So they would have all perished is the blank. Um, maybe, maybe, I'd like to think that they didn't. I'd like to think that his children 
or we're all saved in the ark. Right? Yeah. Now we don't we don't know when he got married. And maybe there were maybe there were some physical reasons too why he could not have them. But I don't know. It's, it's an interesting supposition. He was saying that since uh, the command was to people to procreate, be fruitful and multiply, he waited five hundred years. Sounds like he wasn't in obedience. So, yeah. Yes, he did. <laughs> That's true. He needed some young, strapping guys, not 500-year-old men. That's right. There you go. Good point. <laughs> Letter B, Noah's sons were righteous. Though his sons gave no indication of being overtly godly, God called them and saved them in the ark, which is a picture of salvation. Noah's sons could have grown up helping him in the ark. Build the ark. The flood came in the year 1656, after creation. Shem was 98 that same year. So he's just a youngster, just 98. Number 17, the judgment of the flood. The judgment of the flood. We're going to talk about something now, the flood, which is going to change everything. Literally, the flood in the Bible is one of those it's one of those watershed moments. Uh, everything previous to the flood and everything after the flood all hinges on that event. The flood is a world-changing event. First of all, letter A, man's depravity spread. It says in Genesis 6, 1 and 2, And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. So now you have the, the, um, the sons of God and the daughters of men. The sons of God and the daughters of men. And some of you have read information or heard information about this or wondered about it because of what it goes on to say and, and the outcome of these two groups. And uh, honestly, the Bible does not give clear indications. So we're going to throw out a couple possibilities here this evening and discuss them. But number one is a possible explanation here. Just a possible explanation. And here's the first one. And that is, letter A, sons of God were fallen angels. The sons of God were fallen angels. And letter B, the daughters of men were humans. So now you have angels, fallen angels, and humans. Now, am I the only one that have read this before? How many of you have heard this before? Okay, a few of you have heard this before. All right. It has been proposed that the sons of God were actually fallen angels while the daughters of men were human. Their intermarriage created subhuman giants of enormous size and strength. Their offspring were soulless. They did not have souls. And they wreaked havoc on all things good and godly. So that's one possible explanation. And you say, that sounds like a bunch of hogwash. That sounds really re so far-fetched. And it, 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 uh, it, it but leaves a whole bunch of questions like, how could angels and humans intermarry? I mean, that, no, that doesn't make any sense. I will tell you this, it is still a very prevalent um, explanation. Just a few months ago, one of the main prophecy magazines, one of the ones that I read, came out with a huge article about this very topic. And it was saying, and it was using a couple of scriptures that are they're pretty obscure, they're really, they're really twisting it, but pretty obscure to, to pr try to prove that this did happen back then, and the world was ravaged by these soulless giant creatures who were the offspring of angels, fallen angels and men. And uh, the fact that during the end times, there's supposed to be a proliferation, once again, of the same thing. Leading, and the article was saying it, to where it's possible that there are these kinds of creatures walking the streets today. 
to where there are some people that are, they're just evil people. They're just evil. And they, they, they have no, no righteousness in them. There's no compassion in them whatsoever. They're just evil people. And it went on to say it's because they have no soul. They're just evil. So here's one explanation. The second, which I say, number two, is a more likely one, a more likely possibility. I, if the dial has to be drawn, I'm going to fall much more on this side. Letter A, two distinct families intersecting. Yeah, two, two line, family lines. And I believe what this is talking about is those two lines beginning to intersect. Number one, God called Seth's family sons of God. Through Seth came a godly race. Many in his line were mentioned in Scripture, such as in his godly line was Enoch, who walked with God. Noah in his, in his godly line. And number two, God called Cain's family the daughters of men. So here's two bloodlines. Cain's bloodline, Seth's bloodline. We talked last week and the week before about Cain's bloodline and how they turned out to be a wicked bloodline. Cain turned his back on God. He rejected God. And he led in building a city in defiance, what we believe, against God. So that's Cain's line. Seth's line, through which came the Messiah, had godly people sprinkled throughout, the Bible mentions. And so you've got two separate lines here. Seth's godly. Cain's ungodly. As so often happens, however, the world seeks to defile the godly, while the godly become enamored with the attractions of the world. Letter B, intermarriage and weakening spirituality. Intermarriage between the two lines. Cain's godless posterity began noticing Seth's chaste girls. Before long, there were intermarriages and a gradual weakening of morals overall. I want you to think about this. When God said, I'm going to destroy the earth, think about these two lines. Seth's, Seth, or Cain's ungodly line and Seth's godly line. By the time God says, I'm going to destroy, what happened to this line? Yeah. Apparently, this line has become so infected with this line that you can't tell the difference any longer, with the exception of eight people. I hope that's not the case, but it's possible. Um, Genesis 34, and verse 8 and 9 says, um, this is giving a, uh, another illustration of this intermarrying concept. And I think once I start reading, you might remember the account. Hamor communed with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longeth for your daughter. This is for Dinah, um, Jacob's daughter. I pray you, give her him to wife, and make marriages with us, and give your daughters unto us, and take our daughters with you. In other words, they came to Jacob's family, uh, the world did, and said, hey, listen, we want to intermarry with you. Uh, our, our sons, our worldly sons, have seen your daughters. They're really beautiful, and they're so well-behaved, and they would make such wa good wives for our sons. Help us to intermarry. You know, we'll give you plenty of money, and it'll be good for the, your daughters and for your families. Help us to intermarry. That happened 34 chapters later. Letter B, God's decision made. Verse 3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his day shall be an hundred and twenty years. Now, this is a change. Previously, his days were not a hundred and twenty years. Previously, his days were in the hundreds of years, like Noah started having kids apparently at 500. 
Methuselah lived 969 years, almost a thousand years. So, so there's a, long, a lot of longevity before that. God comes along and says, yet his days from this point would be 120 years. Now here's something I just want you to think about. Does that mean that he is limiting man's longevity from that point on to 120 years? Or could this play into it? From this day to the flood was 120 years. Meaning, yet his days from now until the time he dies will be 120 years because they're all going to be dead then. Just for the sake of thinking. Number one, fierce conquerors became fruitful. Now, this is another interesting topic here. Let me read you a couple of verses, or verse number four. There were giants in the land. So get some giants in your mind when we are teaching in Sunday school class. We get a chart oftentimes, and we draw Goliath and show him over nine feet tall, sometimes close to ten feet tall. These are monstrous giants, humongous giants. I mean, imagine a ten-foot-tall man playing basketball. He walks up to the hoop, and he does this, and his head touches the rim. Getting an idea how tall we're talking about here? I can no longer touch the rim when I jump. I can jump all I want, but I can look off the ground that much. <laughs> it's, it's way up there. A man that, that high. Now, the giant we're talking about, the giants we're talking about, were not just basketball-type players, real skinny. These were monstrous guys, monstrous guys. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in under the daughters of men, see, there's that thinking. It's tying in giants with the sons of God coming into the daughters of men. So you can see how they get this idea. Where did giants come from? Well, it makes total sense. If they are an offspring of fallen angels, supernatural strength, and humans, well, what would come out of that? Some pretty awesome, powerful giants. Um, and they bear children to them. The same became mighty men, which are of old, men of renown. All right, so that's, again, with that thought. But I want to think about something. Letter A, giant is the break. Giant comes from a rarely used word, Nephilim. The word giant here comes from a rarely used word. It is only used here. So if you're reading along in the Hebrew, you're only going to find this word here, giant, Nephilim. Well, now, if it's only used one time in the Bible and it's not defined, and you're not going to be able back here to go to a dictionary in these days and pull out the Hebrew dictionary and look it up, then how do you know what the word means? What we do is we take and we deduct what we think it might be, but let me just throw this at you for, for um, conversation. Letter B, its primary meaning is to fall. So now if you were to take out this Hebrew dictionary and look over to the definition, the definition, literal definition, would be to fall. Giant, to fall. Where do you get that? Um, it may suggest the action of a lumberjack going out to trees. And what's he do? He falls, or we'd say fells trees. That's what he, he fells trees to fall. That's where we get the concept. These men had fallen in their sin nature and had become fearsome fighters. Letter C. Giant does not necessarily denote large. It does not necessarily mean large in stature. Though the spirit of aggression, that's what the word has to do with, a spirit of aggression. The word giant doesn't necessarily mean how tall it was. It means the size of their aggression. They were very aggressive people. This Though it does not, or the spirit, I'm sorry, though this spirit of aggression aptly describes the giants of David's time, it doesn't necessarily mean that the offspring of the sons of God with the children of men were extraordinarily large. It simply means it was a very 
aggressive people. Could they have been exceptionally large? Yes. But they wouldn't have to be. Number two, God determined to destroy man. Well, before I go there, just a thought. So where do the giants come from? If they didn't come from fallen angels, if they came just from acts of humans getting together, where do they come from? Where did giants come from? And I say, have you been to an NBA game lately? I went to one probably 40 years ago. I got to see Michael Jackson play. Michael Jackson. Michael Jordan. <laughs> Different concert. <laughs> Michael Jordan play. It came out of the floor. It was so awesome there watching the, the Chicago. Um, it was wonderful. And then I saw these giants come down. The, just giants. So if we, were at, we had the privilege of being out there on the floor during warm-up. So they're walking out here, and you're looking like this. At the, massive. Seven-footers. Some over seven feet tall. Now, if I stand up straight, I'm six feet tall. Adds 12 inches to me, and you have a seven-footer, and they go beyond that. Now, you might have done the same thing. I have looked up before to see what, what uh, like Guinness Book of World Records is, and we're talking about a man that was over nine feet tall. In, in, in contemporary times, not back in these days. So where do these extraordinary tall people come from? Well, just sometimes it's a genetic thing where certain people groups get very tall. So these giants could have simply been from a group of people that giant man fell in love with a giant woman and they created some giant kids. You know, after, after there's so many, it, ju it just worked out that way. Did I read for you verses 5 through 7? Chapter 6, I meant to. I don't think I did, did I? Well, let me do that. Genesis 6, 5 through 7. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. The wickedness of man was great. What do we know thus far? We know thus far that this line seemed to have intermarried with this line. Wicked line married godly line. Well, typically when that happens, does that mean that the wicked line is going to get godlier or is the godly line going to get weaker? Yeah, it's typically. Um, and the imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Do you understand what it says? Only. Only evil. There, there's, there's no righteousness. There's no little spurts of righteousness here. There's no little congregations of people getting, get, getting together and, and having little praise services. It didn't exist. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. All right, we're going to talk about several things here. Letter A, what God saw. Imagine what God saw. My wife asked me this this afternoon. She said, do you think, do you think it's any worse today than it was in Noah's day? And I, in, in reality, I don't think so. I think it might have been worse then. Now, think about what that means. Think about the horrible perversions that are going on today. The gross, gross immorality that's out, out there, the preponderance, the, the, uh, just the political scene and all the dirty things that go on in just that one arena. Horrible, horrible things that are going on today. But there's a difference between today and then. Today, there is quite a bit of salt in the earth. It would take a pretty sizable ark today to save all the righteous. I mean, they have to come to Hope Baptist Church, and the ark would pull up, and we would all go out there and hop on the ark, and then go down to the churches in the area and load it up, and that's just one town. There's a lot of righteous. The ark had eight people on it, out of all the people. So I'm thinking, at that time, it must have been more wicked. It's hard to believe, but it must have been more wicked here at that time. Man's wickedness, number one, was great. Man's wickedness was great. The scene earlier described between the sons of God and the daughters of men 
suggests widespread immorality. Likely the earth had been overspread with perversity and sensuality of all kinds, making it detestable to God. Number two, every imagination of his heart was continually evil. Man's thinking had become locked in sinful philosophies and attractions. The moral state of mankind was at a despicable low. So what God decided, let her be, what he decided. So what is this declaration that God's making, this decision he's making? Well, it tells us, in number one, that God repented. God repented. Now, we're going to hang up on that for just a moment. Let me ask you, what's the word in the Bible, repent, mean? Change your mind? Yeah, to change your mind or to turn? To change your mind. To turn. What is one of the characteristics or attributes or uh, perfections of God that has to do with this? God is what? What's that? All-knowing, right. When it, so all-knowing, he never changes. What's the fancy word for that? Do you remember? What's the fancy word for, nope, never changes? Remember the Ninja Turtles? What's that? Yes, immutable. Remember the mutant ninja turtles? Nobody remembers that? Okay. <laughs> they had changed. God is immutable. He cannot change, it says. Well, we've got a problem here because here it says that God turned. He changed his mind. So how do you explain that? Anybody? How do you explain in one part of the Bible it says that God never changes? Another time it says right here, you repented. Okay, so he changed his mind regarding them. What you're saying? Okay. All right. He knew it was going to happen. Well, that's it. And my question to you is, how does a God that doesn't change repent? Because repent means to turn. Well, we know he can't turn from evil, but he can turn from evil. <laughs> and I kind of just gave it away. Here's the deal. God's nature never changed. God's nature never does change. God's nature never has changed. What changed? Man. So... Man is behaving, and God shows his favor on man. Man disbehaves. God turns his favor away from man. Did God change? No. It's the same God, the same nature. What changed was man. See, so when it says he repented, he changed. He simply could no longer go along with man because man changed. So God didn't change. He's still immutable, and he's still righteous and still holy. Had he allowed man to continue, God would have changed. He would have, being allowed, he would have allowed something he could not allow. So God repented. God, secondly, grieved. God was hurt because of the choices man had made. This affected him. He was hurt. God created man for fellowship. And now man has turned his back on God. Man wants nothing to do with God. Man has said, I don't want you in my life at all. It started with Cain. I reject you. Because God had rejected his offering. Number three, God resolved. God resolved. He resolved what? Well, letter A, to destroy man. God resolved to destroy man. Because he had become... Only evil continually. That's why. God resolved to destroy man, letter A. God uh, resolved, letter B, to destroy the birds and the animals. 
We're going to talk about it. Somebody this afternoon said, that's not fair. They didn't do anything. And I had a very fast rebuttal. I was dumb enough to buy a cat one time for my kids. I didn't realize I had bought a demon-possessed cat. That cat was awful, and we couldn't afford to have it declawed. And that cat hated my mother-in-law. Every time my mother-in-law came over, she would attack my mother-in-law. I mean, leaving scratches and everything. It was awful cat. So that cat should have died in the flood. I understand that. But what about all those good animals that have done nothing wrong? Abby? Yeah, okay. All right. And, and there's, a, there's an element to where I'm going to agree with you. But my land, think of the animals in the wild. Man, okay, man doesn't take care of them. They're on their own. Now, the domestic animals, a lot of them have learned they have to depend upon man. But most animals don't. But we're going to get to what you just said in just a minute. Lori? Right? Right? Exactly right. Jim? Ooh, he sure did. And you stole one of my answers here. Yeah, he did. And we're going to talk about that. Because did the animals do anything to deserve what they got? And the answer is a resounding no. In fact, the Bible says the animals, animals in general, obey God. Man is the only creature that does not obey. Animals obey. God says the animals do this, they automatically do it. There's not a time in the Bible where an animal disobeyed God. Not one. Can you name any times where men obey, disobey God? The Bible's full of them. Man is the only creature that does not obey God. All the animals obey. So they were, first dot there, they were innocent. The animals were innocent. What wrong had been done by the animals? Nothing. Animals are always in submission to God. In Hosea 4, 2, through, 4, 4, 2 and 3, by swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out and blood toucheth blood. Therefore shall the land mourn, and every one that dwelleth therein shall languish with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven. Yea, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. A judgment against God's creation because of the sins of man. It talks about here again in Hosea. Creation being affected because of the sins of man. Second dot, they had been placed under man's dominion. Jim? Kudos. They had been placed under man's dominion. Remember, God told Adam, I want you to take care of the animals. I want you to be the one responsible for taking care of the animals. They are under your dominion. So here's man. Animals are under him. What happens when man falls? He takes the animals with him. Sin, third point, affects others. One commentary writes, the great principle of divine government by which the penal consequences of moral evil are allowed to extend beyond the immediate actor. In other words, sin always affects those around us. When we sin, we think it's not going to affect anybody, it just hurts us. No, no, that's not how sin works. Sin always affects others. Next we get to letter C, God's exception. God's exception. God's going to destroy the earth and everything in it. Mankind is only evil continually. The God says, that's it. I made my decision. I'm going to destroy all of humanity. Did he? Almost. Almost. And that almost provides this exception. But Noah, verse 8, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. One of the most beautiful passages of Scripture is number one here. Noah found grace in God's eyes. Noah found grace in God's eyes. 
Now, we know that the word grace has several different definitions. Can you give me one definition that would ring true in this particular usage? What did he find in God's eyes when it says he found grace? What's that mean? Mercy, that's good. What's another word that he found? God looks down, he sees all the earth wicked, but he sees Noah. And he, he, he found, Noah found grace in his eyes. What was that? I'm sorry? It was favor. It, it was mercy because of his favor. It's favor. He found favor. Noah found favor with God. His soul stand, contrary to the rest of the world, was energized by God. How was it that Noah could stand for all those years, preach righteousness, build an ark with virtually no support? The whole world is mocking him. The whole world is going evil, their evil way. Noah and his few members of his family are the only ones standing for righteousness. How could he do it? Because of God's favor. God favored him. In Proverbs 12, verse 2, A good man obtaineth favor of the Lord, but a man of wicked devices will he condemn. 1 Corinthians 15, 10, But by the grace of God, Paul says, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. The grace that's talked about in Proverbs 12, 2, the grace that Noah found is still available for you today. You and I, we can be in God's grace, in His favor. And those who were in God's favor, that, that beam of favor, are blessed. Step out of that beam, you are the, have the same kind of non-blessing of, the, of the world around you. But if you're in that beam of God's favor... You, like Noah, are blessed. Number two, Noah was just and perfect. He was just and perfect. Letter A, he was righteous by faith before God. The word just means righteous and lawful. Hebrews eleven seven. by faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. So we know that Noah got saved. We know that you don't get saved by works. Noah could have built the ark and still gone to hell. What saved him was his faith. Because faith is what saves. And we're told that in this verse. He became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. The working was simply testament to his faith. He was righteous by faith before God. And B, he was mature as one of God's children. He was perfect, and the word means mature. The word perfect here means complete, full of integrity and truth, sincere, whole, and of course, mature. Before, before God, Noah stood as righteous and mature as a believer. I like this. In Psalm 37, 37, it says, Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. Number three, like his predecessor, Noah walked with God. We learned last week of somebody else that walked with God. Remember who that was? Enoch, right? Enoch walked with God. Okay, the Bible makes a big deal of walking with God. We know that Adam walked with God in the garden. But now Enoch comes along and walks with God and was not. Noah walked with God. What's it mean? What's it mean to walk with God? And can we do it today? What's it mean to walk with God? Yeah, yeah. It's a relationship. So describe it. Lori, describe it. Yeah. Describe it. 
Yeah, it's fellowship, it's community. But practically, what's that mean? How do you do it? Yeah, yeah, right, right. If you're going to walk with one of your daughters in this manner, how would you do it? Talking, yeah. One-sided talking? No, trying to get them to talk too. Communicate, right? Yeah, so you say something and then you wait and listen. And then they say something and you say, I don't believe that. Back and forth, back, right? That's communication. That's, that's fellowship. Spending time with you. Just spending time. That's, you get up in the morning. You open God's word. You read what he has to say to you. You pray to him. You go through the day. Your mind thinks of him. You perhaps sing a song or two during the day to him. You don't go the entire day without thinking about him. That's not fellowship. That's not walking with him. Walking with him is keeping him first and foremost in your thinking process. Um, walking with him. Sweet fellowship with him. It's how you would describe that intense part of a daily dating relationship. And the guy and the girl get pretty serious. What's in their minds most of the time? They can't get over thinking about the other person. Shouldn't that be our relationship with God where we can't get over thinking about him? He's, he's always there. Just He's so sweet to us and so important to us. That's walking with God. Adam did it. Enoch did it with him. Noah did it. And we should do it. Letter C, God confirmed his decision to destroy. He confirmed his decision. Verse 11, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Sound a little bit like today? Number one, the condition of the earth at that time. The condition of the earth at that time was letter A, corrupt. When you think of the word corrupt, what do you think of? What pops into your head? Corrupt. <laughs> All right. All right, government. What else? Evil. Yeah. What? Okay. Dishonest. Give me some more synonyms, things that mean the same as corrupt. Not as intended. Well, good. What else? Corrupt. You're missing the one that I've got written down. That's what I'm waiting for. What? Flawed. Yeah. It's corrupt. It's... Immoral? Sure. It's, huh? No. It's corrupt. It's corrupt. Here's, here's what you would find if you open up the dictionary to this particular Hebrew word. is decaying. Decaying. It's corrupt. It's decaying. When uh, we have had to learn this, but when my wife uh, fixes uh, chicken, all the excess chicken parts, you know, the skin and the parts that you don't use, uh, we no longer put it out in the garbage in the, in the uh, garage in the summertime. We, we put it in a baggie and we put it in the freezer and freeze it until it's time for the trash pitting out. Then we take it out and put it in the... So because, can you imagine... If uh, the day after the trash is taken, we take these parts, it's hot summertime in our garage, it gets 125 degrees out there, so hot. You put these chicken parts in the garbage, and seven days later, the garbage comes pick it up. Can you imagine what that smells like? That is decaying. And that smells hundreds of times better than corrupt men smell to God. That decaying, the world was corrupt. It was decaying. They were rotting, just like a corpse. 
used to walk there in Rockford around our subdivision. And every once in a while, there'd be a roadkill. And in the hot summer, I saw a couple times where there'd be either a, a raccoon or one of the time it was a possum and had been there a few days in the sun. And you know how they swell up real big? You don't want to get close because anytime they're going to pop, so you stay away from them. But you can smell them, you know, a half mile away if the wind's right. The stench is so nasty. That rotting is what this word is. It's decaying. And that's what's being described, that's what's describing the, the earth, the mankind. Um, God says he was ruined. His creation now was ruined. He had strayed so far from his original intent. God says there's no coming back. In Psalm 53, verse 1, it says, The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. Corrupt are they. It's the same word. Same, same Hebrew word. Corrupt or decaying are they. And have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. I want you just thinking about this because I struggled with this a little bit. Here it says mankind had gone too far. They were ruined. And because they were ruined, God was going to destroy them all. Of course, we understand he meant by that all the unrighteous. There were still eight righteous men, people. It just doesn't ring right because think of how horribly corrupt the world is today. Why isn't God destroying the world today? Isn't that interesting? And what did he use as a demonstration of that promise? The rainbow. Right, God said, I'm not going to do it again. I am not going to destroy the earth in the same way. There's not going to be another flood, not to destroy the earth. And my rainbow is going to show that. Interesting. Um, does that mean that God was not merciful then, but he is now? Was he not a merciful God then, but now he's merciful? So a switch turned. He was unmerciful there, but now, hallelujah, he's merciful. Well, that can't be because the Bible says he's unchangeable. So that means as far as his nature, he's just as merciful today as he was then. But do you see any mercy at all in what happened in the flood? He destroyed almost all of humanity, destroyed all the creatures. Do you see any evidences of mercy? He sure did. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of mercy there. He kept all he needed for a brand new population of the entire earth. Mercy. Now, he didn't have to. He could have destroyed Adam as well because Adam is human. All part of this mess. Adam was not a perfect human. He was perfect and mature. He was not perfect sinless. So he, he had the right to do it, but because of his faith, he was saved. There's God's mercy. And then letter B, the earth at that time was filled with violence. Principles of loving one another and getting along that God had given to Adam in the garden had long been ignored and forgotten. Hosea 4, 1, hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. For the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. Because of that, he destroyed the earth. Cruelty, injustice, and violence had become the accepted norm of behavior upon the earth. Cruelty, injustice, and violence. Have you listened to the news lately? Man, it comes right off the current events. Cruelty, violence, injustice. Every time you hear the news. Um, isn't it interesting what was judged? When Adam fought, fell in the garden, when he ate of the forbidden fruit, do you remember what the judgment was upon Adam, not the serpent or Eve, but upon Adam specifically, what was that judgment? Remember? 
Yeah, it was a it was a curse, making it more challenging for the earth to produce food for him. Um, I don't want to say it was work because he was already working before that time. The curse was it was going to be much more challenging for the earth to give forth. So the curse went into the ground. Now think about that. The curse because of man's fall went into the ground. It didn't go into Adam. It went into the ground. So what was judged in the flood? The earth. The earth was judged. And everything in it was judged. Why? Because that's where the curse went. Something to think about. There's going to come a time where the earth is going to be judged again. And this time, the earth is going to be completely destroyed. Completely destroyed. The heavens will vanish away. The earth will be destroyed. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. So the next time any kind of a worldwide judgment is going to take place, will not be until the entire earth is destroyed. Which means when you hear these doomsayers worried about all this nuclear explosion, all this kind of stuff, will be destroyed by that, don't listen to them. It's not true. We know better. Time's up. We've got to pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for giving us your word. And Lord, what we have done in these last few weeks is just create more questions. We want to know more. We are longing to sit at your feet and have you teach us your word. I thank you for your power demonstrated at creation. I thank you, Lord, for creating us. I thank you, Lord, for your mercy demonstrated to Adam or to Noah and allowing him the privilege of being saved by the ark. And Lord, I thank you so much for allowing us the privilege of being saved. And Lord, help us to continue gaining spiritual applications from this passage. We'll thank you for it. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.